I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to be talking about two historical stories about Red Men of Doom. Or is it the same Red Man, just in different times and different locations? But before we get to that, let's start right off with a shout-out. Let's get those right out of the way. So these shout-outs are for all the patrons. If you want to be a patron, go on over to patreon.com, look up Paranormal Almanac, And the patrons get access to exclusive episodes, videos, previews, any story ideas you want me to do. It's all over there on Patreon. As a matter of fact, when I'm done with this episode, I'm recording an entire other episode just for the patrons. So technically, there'll be two brand new episodes of Paranormal Almanac out this week. But one of them's only if you're a patron. So those shoutouts are for Dan, Angie, Matt... Laura, Edgar, Dill, Laura, and Daniel. Thank you guys so much for being patrons. I really appreciate it. I got some new fun stuff and new ideas. And there's a possibility that there's going to be a Patreon-exclusive spinoff of Paranormal Almanac. My friend Lauren and I are going to go to different haunted bars in the area and do a little bit version, like a little version of my old podcast, Drunken Metaphysical, not quite as good as that one, but it's going to be for patrons only. So there's going to be a spinoff. I don't know how many episodes yet. We're still working it out, but that's going to be just for the patrons. Okay, let's get on to paranormal news. And the first one up is who created the Marie Man? I think it's called Marie. I don't really know how to pronounce it, to be honest with you. But anyhow, entrepreneur Dick Smith has offered a $5,000 reward for any information to help identify the person behind the renowned Marie Man Desert artwork. If you don't know what it is, don't feel too bad because I didn't know what it is either, but it's a geoglyph. It's located in South Australia. And it appeared in 1998, but whoever made it is a mystery. No one knows who the creator is, and he's never been found. To give you an idea how big it is, it's three kilometers long, and it appears to depict a human figure holding a stick upwards. So this entrepreneur, Dick Smith, has spent two years investigating the mystery without any significant leads as to who created the Marie Man. He says there's been so many different claims, and the only one I don't believe in is that it was done from outer space. Which is why it's on Paranormal News. Was it actually the aliens? Doubtful, but who knows who created it? And how has it been kept a secret for more than 20 years? He goes on to say, I can't see how it was done by one person. It'd have to be at least three or four to do it, and it would take weeks to put in. In that case, how has it been kept secret for 20 years, he says? There were no mistakes. It was very professionally done. One of the more popular theories is that it's a group of Americans behind this geoglyph. And that would really kind of bum me out if Americans are going over to Australia 
and doing these, even though it's a cool art installation kind of thing, it's still messing up the Australian desert. The reason that that theory is so prevalent is that at the time that it was made, a series of anonymous faxes alerted the media to the geoglyph, which included American spelling and terminology. The faxes said that it was, quote, the world's largest work of art. Another thing, and this is the main key for me as to why it might be Americans, is that a plaque featuring an American flag was reportedly found near the site. So, yeah, probably Americans. One other theory is that it was made by the late Alice Springs artist Bardius Goldberg, who was said to be interested in creating an artwork visible from space. Another theory was that it was created by members of the Australian Army. Now, Mr. Smith isn't saying he'll make it public, so if you do come forward, don't worry. He'll keep it private. He'll keep the secret to himself. He says, if someone rang me up and said, Dick, I want the $5,000, but on the understanding that you won't tell anyone, and then gave him the evidence, he said he'll gladly give them the $5,000 and keep it a secret. If you're the person who did it, and if you're listening to this podcast, there's a quick five grand in it for you, and he says he'll keep your secret. Next up in paranormal news, Thunderbirds have been spotted again. In case you don't know what a Thunderbird is, a Thunderbird is a very large pterosaur-sized bird. The Native Americans have talked about Thunderbirds for hundreds of years. There were these large birds that the Native Americans swore were real. So anyhow, the Thunderbirds have been spotted yet again. A cryptozoologist, Jonathan Whitcomb, who specializes in Thunderbirds, has counted nine sightings in North Carolina, including one sighting in Raleigh, which appeared in January. One of the witnesses, Cynthia Lee, says it had a long tail with a diamond-shaped bulb on it, and she spotted the mysterious Thunderbird at a North Raleigh bus stop. She says it was also dark brown. Jonathan Whitcomb says, My associates and I believe that these are some type of non-extinct pterosaurs. What many persons would call a pterodactyl or a flying dinosaur. Now, he says that there have been sightings of the pterosaurs in 33 states and Washington, D.C., and the people that saw him would email and call him. And a couple of the newer sightings were from North Carolina in Raleigh and Durham. Unfortunately, though, none of the sightings are supported by any credible photo or any other forensic evidence. So huge red flag for me. Take this one with a grain of salt. But that one woman who had that sighting near the bus stop has gone on to say that she's seen them three separate times. She says they're very pterosaur looking. They don't have any feathers and they're very huge and look exactly like you would picture a pterosaur. This same woman, though, also told Whitcomb about a sighting by her family years ago. She said, my uncle and my mother saw one while they were playing outside my grandma's house when they were very little. They told grandma, but she didn't believe it. So this family seems to keep having pterosaur sightings throughout the decades. Another man, though, who said he was driving on Interstate 540 in Raleigh late in March 2013 when he saw a huge bird-looking thing fly across the overpass he was on maybe 20 to 25 feet in front of his car and about 7 or 8 feet off the ground. He reported the encounter to an online forum and titled his experience, I saw a pterodactyl up close tonight. He said it was very bat-like in a way with a long tail with a spade on the end of it. So, if you happen to be in North Carolina and you happen to be looking up, you too might see a pterosaur. And if you do, for the love of God, take a photo or a video of it. I am getting really sick of these people seeing these incredible cryptids 
and not taking a photo. 2013, you had your phone on you. They could take video in 2013. Nowadays, this one woman who keeps seeing them, take a video, take a photo, or frankly, I won't believe you. Okay, let's get right into this week's episode. And like I said earlier, it's about two men, two red men of destiny. But it might be the same one. I'm going to leave that up to you to decide. Because I'm still kind of on the fence, but I'm leaning towards these two stories might be connected. The first one is known as the Little Red Man of Destiny. Haven't heard of it? I'll be honest, I'm not surprised. It is popular, but not in the whole, like, everyone knows this story kind of way. It's a very interesting story. It has a lot of information online about it, and it has a lot of historical information written in books about it as well. And that's what intrigued me on this one. The Little Red Man of Destiny was a ghost. Well, they call him a ghost, but I'm leaning more towards a demon, but I'll stick with their description. He was a ghost who appeared at the Tuileries Palace, which is a royal palace that stood on the right bank of the River Seine in Paris until 1871. The Little Red Man was seen every time that an important event was going to happen to one of the people living in Catherine de Medici, is said to have been the first person to have confronted the apparition. This was in 1564, during the construction of the Tuileries. And it's said that the lady came face to face with a gnome-like creature dressed completely in scarlet red. It soon became apparent to Catherine that this was not a man of flesh and blood, and she interpreted the visitation as an omen of bad luck. Scarlet was an appropriate color for the ghost to wear, for Catherine had begun to stir up trouble between the Roman Catholics and the Protestants in France, and it was she who induced the king to order the terrible St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of the Huguenots. Now, this same little red man appeared to Henry IV just before the monarch was assassinated by an insane schoolteacher in 1610. In 1792, chambermaids were shocked to discover the little red man of destiny in the bed of Louis XVI. A few months later, guards claimed to have seen the same little red ghost in the prison where Louis and Marie Antoinette awaited their turn at the chopping block of the guillotine in 1793. Anne d'Autrèche saw him a few days before the Fronde began. And if you don't know, the Fronde was a series of civil wars in France between 1648 and 1653. Now, they occurred in the midst of the Franco-Spanish War, which had begun in 1635. Don't worry, I had to look all of that up. What's important to say is that this woman saw the little red man of destiny right before another historical event was about to take place. Marie Antoinette saw him in the corridor the day before, and this was August 10th, 1792, and it's when the mob stormed the Tuileries Palace and ended the monarchy. Let me get to the point of this. Basically, if you saw the little red man of destiny, your destiny was going to be bad and bloody. So let's move on to the main person who had continual sightings of the Red Man of Destiny and actually listened to him for a short period of time. Now, that man was none other than Napoleon Bonaparte. And it's said that he knew of the Red Man of Destiny, but mocked it and laughed about the superstition. But he also saw himself in passages written about France's future 262 years before Napoleon was ever born. And those passages mentioned the Red Man of Destiny. Well, sort of mentioned it. They didn't flat out say there's also this Red Man of Destiny. If you see him, things are going to get bloody and bad. But there are passages that seem to suggest 
something about the Red Man of Destiny that Napoleon took note of. Now, in fact, shortly before the ceremony of coronation, which would crown Napoleon and Josephine as emperor and empress of France, Napoleon gave his wife a copy of that book that told of the prophecies. One of those prophecies said, Italy will see a supernatural being arise from kindred stock. This man will come in his youth out of the sea. This is something else I had to look up, but apparently Napoleon was a Corsican of common parentage. So, sure, Napoleon's reading a bit into this, but he seems to think it's all about him. But he seems to think this is about him. It's also said in that same book he will adopt the language and the manners of the Kelto Gauls. Basically, he's going to adopt France, which is exactly what he did. He claimed France as his homeland. While still young and in spite of untold obstacles, he'll have a brilliant career and will become a great commander. Years of arduous toil and struggle will follow. He will constantly be at war. He will give laws to the Germans and the chaos in Gaul and finally be made king. Thereupon, he will assume the title of emperor. Again, you don't need to know a lot about Napoleon. Basically, all of that kind of stuff happened. He rose to power when he was a very young officer. He did the he established the Confederation of the Rhine. He abolished the German Empire. He made himself Emperor of Europe. So again, he seems to really take stock in this book and really thought it was about him. All of these prophecies were about him. It says that he will do great things for his realm, construct magnificent buildings, ports, canals, waterworks. He alone will accomplish as much as all the Romans. He will have two wives and one son. All of this seemed to come true as well. Another passage said, In his wars, his campaigns will lead him where the 55th parallel of latitude intersects with the 55th meridian. There his enemies will set fire to a great city. He will enter it with his soldiers and again leave the ruins. His men will have neither bread nor water. They will perish in the bitter cold. Well, if you go to the 55th parallel and the 55th meridian, you're in Russia. And Napoleon had an ill-fated invasion of Russia where the Russians burnt Moscow rather than allowing the French to occupy it. And it ended with Napoleon's disastrous retreat through the vicious Russian winter, where his men, not surprisingly, didn't have bread or water. To keep going with these passages, because, again, Napoleon thought they were all about him, Finally, this great man, deserted and betrayed by his friends, will be driven into his own capital by a great European army. I'm going to skip to the chase. This happened as well. Banished to an island not far from his native land, he will remain there with his followers for 11 months, after which he will again disembark. Guess what, guys? That one happened too. 11 months after he was banished, Napoleon landed at Cannes, France, and led a new army against the European coalition. One more, guys. One more passage about Napoleon, and then we'll get back to the Red Man of Destiny. Driven out by a European triple alliance in three and one-half months, he'll be compelled to surrender his throne to the former king. Guess what? Exactly three and one-half months after he began to regroup his forces, this is June 15, 1815, Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. So... I don't understand why Napoleon would take so much stock of, yeah, this is all about me. Sure, it starts really good, but it ends really badly. And now, in Napoleon's own memoirs, he mentions his encounters with a famous entity known as the Little Red Man, 
Again, he's called a ghost who became well-known as the harbinger of tragedy in France. Now, according to these same memoirs, the Red Man first appeared to Napoleon in 1798 during the military leader's Egyptian campaign. The Little Red Man of Destiny is said to have materialized for Napoleon and have made a bargain with him. According to the terms of the contract, Napoleon was to enjoy victory and triumph on the battlefields of Europe for a decade. The strange visitor also said that he had advised the rulers of France in the past and declared that he had now come to give counsel to Napoleon alone. The Little Red Man of Destiny also told Napoleon that he had been at his side since he was but a schoolboy. He says, I know you better than you know yourself. The Little Red Man also told Napoleon that his orders to the French fleet had not yet been obeyed. Now, even though the Egyptian campaign had begun on a note of triumph after the bloody Battle of the Pyramids, the ghost told him the enterprise would fail and Napoleon would return to France to find France closed in by England, Russia, Turkey, and an allied Europe. And guess what? All of this turned out to be true. Because the Egyptian campaign did fail, and in 1809, after the Battle of Wagram, Napoleon made his headquarters exactly like the Red Man of Destiny said. Napoleon would again see the Little Red Man of Destiny at his new headquarters in Austria. So, how much of this actually came true? Well, pretty much everything the Little Red Man of Destiny told him. Napoleon conducted 10 years of successful campaigns, and when that time came up, he asked for a five-year extension of his contract with the Little Red Man of Destiny. Now, it's never said in anything I could find online what the other side of the deal was, what Napoleon had to give the Little Red Man of Destiny. Did he have to give him anything? Or was it just that the Little Red Man of Destiny was using Napoleon for his own benefit? I don't know. I couldn't find anything about that online. But anyhow, Napoleon asked for a five-year extension of his contract, and the ghost granted his request with one caveat, that the greedy Napoleon should not launch a campaign that would take him on Russian soil. That's all the Little Red Man of Destiny said. He said, yeah, I'll give you another five years, but don't start a campaign on Russian soil. Guess what happened next? You don't have to guess. I told you a little earlier. Napoleon ignored the warning, went to Russia. It went bad for him and his troops, and it basically ended with the physical defeat, which came at Waterloo. Now, this was written about quite a bit. The people of Tularis were very familiar with the Little Red Man of Destiny, and they also seemed to know that this Little Red Man of Destiny was appearing to Napoleon at that time. It was very well known. Let's get to the final interaction between Napoleon and the Little Red Man of Destiny. This third final appearance was on the morning of January 1st, 1814, and it was shortly before Napoleon was forced to abdicate. The Little Red Man first appeared to the Counselor of State Molay and demanded that he be allowed to see the Emperor on matters of urgent importance. So this is really important. So it wasn't just Napoleon that saw him. Other people saw him too. People heard Napoleon speaking with him at times. People walked into his tents. His men would walk into the tents and see Napoleon speaking to this Little Red Man. They could see him themselves. But anyhow, this counselor had been given strict orders that Napoleon was not to be disturbed. But when he went in with the message that the little red man was there, Napoleon instantly granted him immediate entrance. It was said that Napoleon actually asked for the red man for time to complete the execution of certain proposals. But 
the little red man gave him only three months to achieve a general peace or it would be all over for Napoleon. Again, he gave him a five-year extension with one caveat. Napoleon didn't listen. He comes back to Napoleon. Napoleon tries to bargain with him again. And not shockingly to anybody paying attention to this story, Napoleon tried to launch a new campaign and Paris fell to the hands of the Allies and on April 1st, three months after the final Little Red Man of Destiny's visit, the Senate called for Napoleon to renounce the throne. So let me pause right here. If a Little Red Man of Destiny appears to you and can be proven to be a real Little Red Man of Destiny, gives you a bunch of prophecies that will be good for you if you follow them, just follow the prophecies. Don't veer from what he said. Don't try to re-bargain with them and then try to screw them over. It didn't end well for Napoleon. It didn't end well for anybody up to this point. So let's move on from that little red man of destiny to another one. Although, again, I do think it might be the same little red man of destiny. For you see, this one's called the Nain Rouge, and he could have easily hitched a ride to North America during the French colonization of Quebec. And from Quebec, he could have made his way down to Detroit, where this next story comes from. My own hometown of Detroit. Once again, he's known as the Nain Rouge, or the Red Dwarf of Detroit. Just like the other one, he's thought to be a harbinger of doom, and he seems to match the same description as the Little Red Man of Destiny. So I don't know why they're keeping these two separate. They say he might be a cousin of the Little Red Man of Destiny. I'm thinking it's the same being. So the being made its way over to America, made his way to Detroit, and this time made his way to Detroit's founder, Antoine Cadillac. That's right, Cadillac, just like the cars, just like the city. Now, according to the legend, seeing the name Rouge is a surefire sign of something terrible to come. Another odd thing, let me pause right here, another odd thing that I've noticed about this, what is with red-eyed beings being harbingers of doom? Because many of you probably know this if you've listened to the podcast in the past, but in case you don't, the Mothman is thought to be a harbinger of doom, and it has glowing red eyes. Is it a coincidence? I don't know. Couldn't find anything out about it online, so I think I might be the only one connecting those dots, but... Still, it's kind of weird. Now, from what I can find about the name Rouge, one of the oldest stories of this legend comes from a book called Legends of Le Detroit. Le Detroit. And it was published in 1883. I'm not going to read the whole book to you. I'll give you the shortened version. On March 10th, 1701, in St. Louis, Quebec, a party was being held in honor of Antoine Cadillac, again, the founder of Detroit. Now, as the night went on, a fortune teller came to the home. They let her in, and she began to read palms. She was amazingly accurate. The entire party really loved her. Everybody wanted a turn. So Antoine Cadillac wanted a turn as well. Well, she walked over to Cadillac himself. There she gazed into his palm and told him how he was going to start a great city. Despite what you might think of Detroit right now, Detroit is a great city, so let's just focus on this one. So Cadillac was really intrigued, but when he asked her to go on, his, his future became quite grim, actually. The fortune teller told him, In years to come, your colony will be the scene of strife and bloodshed. 
The Indians will be treacherous. The hated English will struggle for its possession, but under a new flag, it'll reach a height of prosperity which you will never in your wildest dreams be able to picture. Cadillac continued to press the woman for more answers, asking if his children would inherit from him. The fortune teller told him, Your future and theirs lie in your hands. Beware of undue ambition. It'll mar your plans. Appease the Nain Rouge. Beware of offending him. Should you be thus unfortunate, not a vestige of your inheritance will be given to your heirs. She says your name will be scarcely known in the city you founded. And guess what? Just like Napoleon, he thought it was funny and laughed it off when he told his wife about it later that night. Again, he didn't take it seriously, just like Napoleon. So, I know I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. If someone, a fortune teller, says you're going to be visited by a Nain Rouge, don't piss it off. Listeners, don't piss it off. So let's move ahead. Years later, after founding Detroit, Cadillac and his wife were taking a walk and overheard the conversation of two men unhappy with the city. As Cadillac passed by, he heard one man say, quote, Things cannot run very long thus. My wife saw a few days ago, La Petite Nain Rouge. Now Cadillac's wife remembered what he told him and was immediately startled and said, Le Petite Nain Rouge? That was the Nain Rouge the fortune teller had warned you about so many years ago. Again, he laughed it off when she said that. And right while he was laughing, a grotesque dwarf-like figure with a sharp-toothed grin hobbled onto their path. Now, it was described as very red in the face, with bright glistening eyes that instead of burning, they froze. Instead of possessing depth, they emitted a cold gleam like the reflection of a polished surface bewildering and dazzling all who came within its focus. This is exactly how the Nain Rouge was described in that book. It was also described as having one more thing, a grinning mouth displaying sharp pointed teeth completed this strange face. If you see this creature, if he pops up right in front of you just after some strange men and your wife talk about the Nain Rouge, whatever you do, don't mock it, don't hit it with the stick. Why would you hit it with a stick, you might ask? Who would do such a stupid thing? Well, guess what Cadillac did? Cadillac immediately hit the creature with his cane and told it to get away. And the dwarf took off laughing. So, good job, Cadillac. You didn't listen to the fortune teller. You didn't listen to your wife. And for some strange reason, you see this weird red creature and you hit it with your cane. Now, another version of this same story says that the creature vanished as soon as it was hit with the cane, and a voice from nowhere said, You have offended him. Your impetuosity will bring you and yours to ruin. You were told to coax him to beware of annoying this demon, and in your ungovernable temper, you do just otherwise. Misfortune will soon be your portion. A little wordy. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. It does, you know, give some... It does uh, bring the character together a little bit more and make him a little bit more powerful that as soon as he's hit with the cane, he says this really long thing. The one thing I do like about it, and the reason I added it to this story, was that he was called a demon. He called himself a demon and not a ghost. Again, I'm in the small group that think the Nain Rouge was a demon. Well, whether that voice said what it said or whether he vanished or whether he was just hit and started laughing and ran away, 
not surprisingly, Cadillac's luck took a turn for the worse, and everything the fortune teller told him came true. On July 30th of 1763, the dwarf was spotted near the Detroit River. He was bathed in blood, laughing maniacally on a body. Why was he on a body? Well, it was right before the Battle of Bloody Run, where 58 British soldiers were killed by Native Americans from Chief Pontiac's Ottawa tribe. Supposedly, again, the Nain Rouge danced among the corpses on the banks of the Detroit River after the battle, and the river turned red with blood for days after. According to this same tale, all the misfortunes of Governor and General William Hull leading to the surrender of Detroit in the War of 1812, all of them are blamed on the Nain Rouge. So there's been a couple of sightings of the Nain Rouge in Detroit up until this point. But there are many more. Because 40 years later, in the spring of 1805, people saw the dwarf walking through the streets of Detroit. Now on June 11th of that same year, a fire burnt down most of Detroit. Again, I talked about him for a second a minute ago. But General William Hall, the only officer in American history to be sentenced to death for military incompetence, claimed that he saw the Red Dwarf grinning at him in 1813 when, again, he surrendered Detroit to the British Army. Another sighting of the Red Dwarf came in 1967, and it was just weeks before the long riots started in Detroit. If you don't know about them, the Detroit riots were horrific riots in 1967. The Nain Rouge was also seen climbing up a utility pole by two utility workers on March 1st, 1976. Now, this sighting is a little bit different. Uh, again, two Detroit utility workers thought they saw a child climbing up a utility pole. So, being utility workers, they climbed up after the child when the small creature, when the small childlike creature got to the top of the pole, he dove off from the top of the pole and vanished right before their eyes. Shortly after that, Detroit was hit with one of the worst ice storms the city has ever seen. There are plenty more sightings of the name Rouge. He's seen often, but he's especially seen once a year because Detroit now holds a yearly Nain Rouge parade where people dress up like the Nain Rouge, and there's even local breweries that have beers named for the Nain Rouge. Well, that about does it for the whole Nain Rouge. Again, there's other sightings. They're not very verifiable. In fact, most of them seem really creepypasta and kind of stupid. So, so again, I'm not going to include them on this episode. But that leads to that question I asked you about earlier. What do you guys think? Do you think that the Little Red Man of Destiny and the Nain Rouge are connected, are cousins, are the same creature, or two different creatures? Do you think they're a demon? Do you think they're a ghost? What do you guys think? I personally think that it's a demon that's still being spotted to this day that is definitely a harbinger of doom, even though it offers you some great stuff and a small contract, 10-month, 10-year, doesn't matter. Ultimately, your fate will be bloody and bad. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.
Halloween. Flesmas lucky the word I'm one. He said when I'm the rustle of Halloween. Wallah! Homer on the cabs is the survey. We know we know either since Harold, yeah!